right, well, we uh, started this Colossians study last week. We're going to keep rolling in it. We did the first eight verses last week, and we're starting on verse 9. So if you want to turn to Colossians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 9, this is where we start. It says, For this reason also, since the day we heard about it, have not ceased praying for you. Now, this is the kind of verse that I would put up in front of my hermeneutic students, and they're all trained at this point when you have a sentence like this that you can't start with verse 9 right? Because no one starts a conversation by saying, for this reason, right? It's pointing to something else. They must have been speaking up to this point, right? So for what reason is Paul praying here? And since the day Paul heard about what? Well, we saw that last week. If you were here and can uh, hearken back to that, he and Timothy had heard about the faith of the Colossian believers. Remember that Paul uh, did not establish this church. He knew some people from the church, but didn't know uh, everyone at the church. He had never visited the church, as far as we know. At this point, he eventually visits it. So he doesn't really know these people and doesn't really know firsthand of their faith, but he's heard about their faith, and he's heard about their love for all the saints. And he heard about them hearing the word and understanding the word and integrating the word into their lives, the word of truth. And that that is bearing fruit in their community. And the guy he had heard that from was Epaphras, who likely was the one who established this church, likely was an elder in this church, maybe even what we'd consider now a pastor, even though they didn't have really that formalized role there at that time. But he says, Epaphras informed us of your love. So they're getting this report from Epaphras about the Colossian church, about their faith, about their love, and because they had heard about this and heard about what God was doing among them, for that reason, since the day they heard about it, they have not ceased praying for them. Well, what are they praying? It says, and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I like a couple of the words in the phrase here because be filled is a, is a Greek word that actually doesn't mean just to be filled. It means to be filled to the tippity top, right? Uh, that, that you can't get any more into whatever the container is, right? I, I don't know why I always think about this, but anybody know anything about surface tension? It's one of my favorite scientific things, science-y things. And I'm not a big science geek, but it's, it's cool. So like if you fill up a glass you can fill it up to the point where it actually goes beyond the glass. Can you see that? And it still stays there because of something called surface tension, right? So this is the illustration, that this word is to fill up till you can't get a single drop more in, right? If you put one more drop in that glass, it's going to overflow, right? It's to the tippity-tippity-top, right? And he says, I pray that you would be filled to the tippity-top, and that you would have, uh, you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. The word knowledge also doesn't just mean knowledge, it means full knowledge, complete knowledge, tippity-top type knowledge. Uh, it also can mean clarity in knowledge, like knowing something really, really well, defining it. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I know like when I first start studying a subject, it all seems very, very vague and, and hard to understand. I remember when I was first studying Greek, 
that I was like, this is really all Greek to me, right? Because it was just so, like, foreign, because it's a foreign language, obviously, right? It was just so foreign. But the more you spend time with something, the more you understand something, now I read Greek and it just is very easy, right? Because I spent time studying it and now I can read it very easily. It, it's bringing something into focus. It's knowledge brought into focus. Uh, it's, like, it's like this. Something becomes very well-defined, right? Where it was there all the time, but it was a little blurry and now it's well-defined. You put all that together and he says, full knowledge being filled up completely, I have this question, of what? Did he want them to be filled up with science and mathematics? Maybe he wanted them to be learned people, right? I'm sure if, if Dan was writing this letter, he would want them filled up with math, right? Because math is, is life, right? Did he want them to be filled up with literature so that they could be really cultured people, right? And know their stuff and be able to speak about all the greats. Did he want them to be filled up with political knowledge so that they could have political power and, and change the world through their political influence? Did he want them to be filled up with uh, pop culture and uh, learn how to be influencers of other people? Did he want them to be filled up with knowledge of themselves, right? Because to know yourself is good, right? Self-actualization, self-realization, so they could reach the, their fullest potential if they just knew themselves better. These are things our world strongly desires, right? But that is not at all what he was praying for them. Look at what he's praying. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That you may be fully filled with the full knowledge of his will. Well, why in the world would we want to know that? If you remember what we talked about it last week, that they had learned the truth and the truth had changed their lives, Right? They, they not only learned it, but they accepted it. We, we talked about that word understand, that they understood it, meaning they, they integrated it into their lives. They allowed it to penetrate their hearts, and it changed their lives. If that's true, and, and it changed light, their lives in a good way, it brought good fruit out of their lives, the question is not why would you want to know, know the truth, why would Paul want to be praying this for them, it's why wouldn't you want to be praying that? Why wouldn't Paul want to be praying that for them? Why wouldn't they want to be pursuing that? And why would we not want to be pursuing that? Because that's how good fruit comes. It's interesting to me, um, you know, I read a number of books, and, and I, I tend to read uh, books that I don't necessarily agree with the premise of the book, uh, because I'm always interested in trying to understand why certain people make certain choices and certain groups uh, decide to go certain ways. And, and it is amazing to me um, that there is a certain uh, section of, of the evangelical church, I think they're still considered part of the evangelical church, although uh, there's a lot of distinction there, um, who will say, well, you don't really need to know the truth of Scripture. You just need to uh, embrace this relationship you have with Christ. That, that studying Scripture and all that kind of stuff, that's good. Like if you're, you know, if you want to be a pastor or something, like go do that. Okay, fine. But, but, but I'm not about the Bible. I'm about my relationship with Jesus. Well, that's a silly notion. Because the thing that develops our relationship with Jesus, the, the thing that transforms us into those who walk and talk and think like Jesus is the truths that are built into Scripture, right? We've got to be in his word to grow this relationship with Christ or else we're growing our relationship probably with ourselves. 
or our, our vision of what we want Jesus to be. And if you read much of that stuff, you'll find pretty quickly they make Jesus into whoever they want him to be, right, instead of the, the, the Jesus of Scripture. So I am with Paul here on this prayer that we would be full, that they would be full, and that we would be full of his knowledge. And he describes his knowledge, the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That it would be chocked full of wisdom and understanding. Uh, wisdom is the knowledge uh, of things that works well in life. It's practical knowledge. Okay? It's knowledge that actually changes the way you do things, and it actually affects your life. And understanding is, is insight. It's, it's insight into, into the inner workings of life, how life really works. Again, we live in a world that um, doesn't really care about uh, reality so much these days. Many don't. It's more about just how I feel about reality, not reality itself. This is not speaking to that at all. This is saying real knowledge that really works in a real life circumstance. And insight into that knowledge, insight into how life truly works. Another way to, to state this, the way I kind of put it together, is this is the ability to know the truth and to allow the truth to change your life. I, I've heard many times, many, many times, I've probably said this many times. I know I should do whatever, right? Conversation with a believer who's like, I know, I've been around church long enough, I know I should do this. I know I've read that passage and I know I should be about this. That is not real knowledge. That is not true knowledge. Knowledge that's not activated in our life, that's not actually lived in our life, is not true knowledge and understanding. He's praying for knowledge, not only for them to understand it, for, but for it to change their life and their walk. If we really knew how we should know, then it wouldn't be about knowing things, it would be about living things, right? Truth is practical. God's truth is practical. It's meant to be lived, not just to be known. And it's, uh, and it's spiritual knowledge. This is the great thing. This, it's spiritual wisdom and understanding. The source of this wisdom and understanding is God himself. It's divine knowledge. Again, I, I just don't understand why, if, if God has given us this great gift of divine knowledge in his word that comes from the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, and he's revealed it to us, why would we not want to gobble that thing up? Why would we even think twice about listening to some human pundit who's creating interesting ideas? They're, we're so limited. We're so finite. Why would we even listen to that? Instead, we should be swimming in the depths of the spiritual insight, the spiritual wisdom, the spiritual understanding. I think what Paul's doing here, um, just a little insight into the history of this church, I mentioned this last week, and we'll see this in weeks to come, that, that part of what Paul is writing into is this, uh, th these heretical ideas that existed in the Colossian area that we're, that we're starting to uh, filter into the Colossian church. And um, 
And the, one of the parts of this, uh, this heresy was the idea that you could have deeper knowledge, what they called gnosis. And, and if you gain this deeper knowledge, then you can actually become one of the elites, the inner circle, right? And everybody, you know, nobody likes to be on the outside. I remember in junior high, like, really wanting to be with the cool kids. I wasn't, I wasn't cool, right? I wanted to be on the inside with that. I don't want to be on the outside. And so th- this, this heresy that was there was like, if you want to be cool, right? If you want to be someone who really knows, who's really spiritual, then you need to enter these levels of deeper knowledge. Yeah, Jesus is fine, and what he said was fine, and what the apostles are, are sharing is fine, but we've got a deeper level of knowledge than even they knew. Or they would say, Jesus only shared part of his knowledge. We've got deeper knowledge that Jesus wanted to share. You see how, how enticing that might be? Oh, man. I, I, I want to have that deeper knowledge if it, it exists. And he plays with words here. Because they promised gnosis, and Paul states you can have epignosis. Epignosis is full knowledge in Christ. There's no other place to look for it. Our world holds some of these things, these, these ideas that, hey, if you just do these certain spiritual disciplines, by the way, I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to spiritual disciplines. My problem is where spiritual disciplines go and some of the language around spiritual disciplines. Like if you just have this certain spiritual discipline, if you just fast this so many times, if you just, if you just cut this out of your life during these seasons or whatever, then you'll actually get that, gain that deeper spiritual knowledge. No, the knowledge is all in Christ in who he is. There's nothing wrong with those things. It's just when we think we can get into some sort of inner circle, deeper understanding, uh, our full understanding is in Christ. That's the place that we need to go. The best defense against heresy, and he's trying to give them that defense, is a high dose of truth. So he's praying that for him. The point on your handout, if you want to fill it in, is Paul's prayer for the Colossian church was that they would pursue and take hold of a complete understanding of God's will for them. Paul's prayer for the Colossian church was that they would pursue and take hold of complete understanding of God's will for them. Again, what's, what's the benefit here? Right? They, had, they had fruit that came from knowing God's will. What, let's be specific. What kind of fruit are we talking about here? Well, he lists it uh, in this amazing few verses here. He says, we need to pursue full knowledge. Full knowledge is a good thing. He's praying for full knowledge for them because the payoff is that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I read that verse and I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. Like, there's nothing more than I want, that I want for my life than to walk in a manner that's worthy of my Lord who gave himself for me. Correct knowledge should always result in correct behavior. Again, true knowledge, not knowledge that's like, yeah, I know that, but I don't live that. That's not the way that knowledge works. Correct knowledge knows, and it, and it results in correct behavior. Knowledge that doesn't transform is useless knowledge. One 
quick example of that is that I, I, I've heard people say, you know what, I know that I shouldn't gossip. And you know what my thought is? Then stop. Right? Like, if you know that you shouldn't gossip and you gossip all the time, you don't know that you shouldn't gossip. If you truly knew that, you would live that, right? If you truly believed that gossip was destructive for you, destructive for the people you're speaking it with, and destructive for those who you're speaking about, and destructive for the church in general, then you would stop gossiping, right? But instead, you just have this vague knowledge of like, yeah, people, people will judge me if they knew I gossip. That, that's not knowledge. That's not knowledge that transforms. Correct knowledge should always result in correct behavior. Uh, I like this quote uh, from a guy named Warren Wearsby. Um, had to read some of his stuff in seminary. He was a pastor for a number of years and a theologian. Uh, and he said this, In my pastoral ministry, I have met people have, who have become intoxicated with studying the deeper truths of the Bible. Usually they have been given a book or introduced to some, uh, some teacher's tapes. Before long, they get so smart that they become dumb. The deeper truths they discover only detour them from, the, from practical Christian living. Instead of getting burning hearts of a devotion for Christ, they get big heads and start creating problems in their homes and churches. All Bible truths are practical, not theoretical. If we are growing in knowledge, we should also be growing in grace. I love that. I could not agree more, right? And I think everyone, if you've been in the church for very long, you've probably seen this, Right? This knowledge that puffs up, this knowledge that, that's, that's about just knowing more things and other people respecting your great knowledge instead of actually transforming you. If the truth doesn't transform you, it's not worth having in your life. The truth should transform you. A worthy walk comes out of knowing truth and living that truth. So he says, walk worthy. Walk worthy of the Lord. What's interesting about this word, it made me uncomfortable, honestly, when I first read it, because it actually means to balance scales. It means to walk in a way that fits our association with Jesus, that meets our association with Jesus, that honors who he is and what he's done. I don't know about you, but just looking at that word when I was studying, I was like, oh, whoa right? To live in such a way that, that I honor his sacrifice, that I honor his life, that I honor his lordship in my life, that I honor what he's done in saving me. And that feels heavy. But I want that. I don't want to do anything that dishonors my Lord. I don't want to do anything that's out of step with honoring who he is and what he's done. And remember, this is a so that. It's a result. Well, if I want to do that, what do I need to do? I need to go back to the truth. I need to, I need to increase my knowledge lived out in my life, be changed by it, so that I can walk in a worthy way. And I've heard verses like this so many times just get dismissed, right? Because it does feel heavy. Well, no one can do that. No one can live a worthy walk. 
I, remember I used that illustration last week that if, you, if someone tells a kid over and over again that they're a screw-up, you're a screw-up, you're a screw-up, you're a screw-up, what do they do? They screw up, right? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They start to view themselves that way and they just, I'm a screw-up, that's just what I do, right? If you convince yourself that you can't walk in a worthy way, then you certainly will never walk worthy. Certainly, you never will. But I don't know about you, but, but I don't see any hint of can't in this. I don't even hear any hint of like, ooh, maybe. I hear practical, a, a, a practical living out of the knowledge that we have. Going to the truth, understanding the truth, and allowing it to transform you so that we can walk worthy. The more we know the truth of God's will and the more we allow the truth of God's will to change our lives, the more we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I love that. I love the promise of that. But that's not the only result. Look at the second one. He says, to please him in all respects. Literally, to be fully pleasing. The pleasing cup is all the way to the top and overflowing. You can't get another drop of pleasing in there. That God would look at an area of our life and smile. Yeah. And then look at another area of our life and go, yeah. And look at another area of our life and smile. Be pleased. I don't know about you, but that's, that's the deepest part of my heart. I'm like, God, I want you to smile when you see the areas of my life. I want you to be pleased. Well, here's the great thing. He's being really practical here. When we know the truth of God, the more we know the truth of God, the more we allow the truth of God to change our lives, the more he will smile at the results of that. Wow, sounds good. I want that. He doesn't stop there. There's a third result. Bearing fruit in every good work. Truly good things being produced in our lives is a result of knowing the truth and allowing the truth to, to change us. Most people in this world are dead trees, branching out in all sorts of different directions and producing no fruit, nothing really good. So then they branch out in a new direction, still no fruit. But for us, we know the source of fruit. To know the truth of God's will, to allow the truth of God's will to change our lives, will produce good things in our life. We'll breathe life into our relationships. We'll ooze joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and all the good things will come out of us when we know the truth of God's will and allow the truth of God's will to change us. It's exciting. But that's not the only result. There's a fifth result here. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. There's a little bit of a wordplay here in Greek. It's, um, that first phrase is dunamao with all dunamis. You hear that comparison there? It's, it's the same word, just in a different form. It, it, it's like in English, it would be like empowered with all power, right? Strengthened with all strength. That, that we can be empowered with all power, strengthened with all strength. For the Christian, and we've talked about this before, we talked about this a lot in Romans, right? That Christian growth, the growth in the Christian life 
is about recognizing more and more and more our weakness and embracing more and more and more of his strength, right? His strength in us. The fall has messed us up to think that we have the ability and the power to accomplish things, to do really good in life, and, and we don't. And so it's about learning of our weakness and embracing our weakness while we embrace his strength. That's about being empowered by his power. And this power and strength that he describes here, look at, it, look at how he describes it. He says, according to his glorious might. This power, this strength is in line with his power and his strength, the creator of the universe. Imagine like you go into a, uh, into a workout place and, and you get a personal trainer, okay? You're, you're, you're like interviewing a personal trainer. He's like, yeah, I'll be your personal trainer. And you'll be like, cool. And he's like, yeah, I, you know, if you work hard, if you really do good stuff in your life, if you follow everything I'm asking you to do, after a while, I think you have the potential to be like my last guy that I worked out. There he is. I think I'd be like, uh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for your suggestion. I'm going to find somebody else, right? Like, like that's, that, that, I don't want that, right? That's not what I'm in here for, personal trainer. But imagine if the guy said the same thing. He's like, hey, you know what? If you work hard, I think you have the potential. If you work hard and you do what I'm asking you to do, you'll be just, you can be just like my last client, The Rock. <laughs> be like, sign me up, Right? In line with his strength, his power. And seriously, the rock's got nothing on God. Right? Might as mighty as his might. Strength as strong as his strength. Power as powerful as his power. And the more we know the truth of God's will, and the more we allow the truth of God's will to change our lives, the more we will be empowered by the God of the universe himself. That's pretty exciting. But he doesn't stop there. There's a sixth one. For the attaining of all perseverance and patience. Perseverance is the capacity, capacity to hold out under difficult circumstances. Which, as I prayed earlier, there's many in our body who are going through difficult circumstances right now. To see things through when the going gets tough. That's perseverance. Patience is similar, but a little bit different. It's the ability to remain at peace when provoked, without revenge or retribution against the one provoking you. I don't know but if anybody else had this experience when they were younger, but my siblings um, picked on me. I've got one of them right there. Um, they would do this. Nate, 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 Nate. You know what I wanted to do? Right? <laughs> when provoked, I'm going to knock you out, right? The problem was my brother was a lot bigger than I was, so I couldn't do that. Um, he looked a little bit like The Rock to me when I was a kid. Um, this is, this is the reality. Life is hard, right? We experience loss, we experience disappointment, we experience grief. Um, we experience not getting the things that we want. Getting the things that we want and finding out that they're not really what we wanted. Uh, life is a constant 
onslaught of pressures to conform and to fold and to give up and to give in. And the more we know the truth of God's will and the more we allow the truth of God's will to change us, the greater capacity we will have to face the difficulties that life throws at us, to bear up under the pressures of this life. I don't know about you, but I've looked at those older in the faith than me at times who are going through unimaginable situations. And there's something about the character that I see that I'm like, wow. How in the world is that possible that that person could go through that and not crumble? Well, it's because they've allowed over their lives, they spent time knowing God's truth, allowing God's truth to change them. And they were ready to meet that moment because of God's strength and power within them to persevere and to find patience. I want that too. So with all this payoff, the question is not, why would it be worth knowing God's will? It's obvious. Why wouldn't we want to know more of God's will, know more of God's truth, and why wouldn't we want it to change us? Why wouldn't we want to allow it to change us when it has all of these benefits? Point on your hand out if you want to fill it in is, the more we know the truth of God's will and allow the truth of God's will to change our lives, the more worthy, pleasing, fruitful, God-knowing, empowered, and persevering life we will live. The more we know the truth of God's will and allow the truth of God's will to change our lives, the more worthy, pleasing, fruitful, God-knowing, empowered, and persevering life we will live. I don't know if you remember um, when, uh, I don't think they have late night infomercials anymore, do they? I don't know. Are there still late night infomercials out there? Okay. I, I, we stream everything now, so we don't even have, you know, access to those things. Uh, but I remember uh, those shows where they were trying to sell you some sort of product, right? And they, they spent like 20 minutes, 30 minutes trying to sell you on this product. And at, at some point you're like, yeah, I guess I do need that mop, right? Like that's a great mop, right? Uh, but then they would always at that point, like right when you're like ready, I need to buy that mop, they would say something. They would say, but wait, there's more, right? Not only do you get this mop, but you get an extra head or you get this other cleaning device or whatever, right? And then they go talking about that for longer, right? Well, that's what Paul does here, right? He's like, here's the six great things that if you spend time knowing God's will and allowing it to change your life, like these are the results of it. But he doesn't stop. Look at this. So uh, I'm going to start in verse 10, which is not up there. It says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all perseverance and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father. There's really only one response, appropriate response, to the giver of his will, to the one who makes us worthy, to the one we aim to please, to the, the fruit bearer in our life, which is not us, it's him, to, to the knowledge giver, to the power bringer, to the strength behind our perseverance and patience, and that should be joyous thanks. 
It's, it's like literally like giggly thanks. Like you're just like, thank you. Like this is great, right? This is so good. But wait, there's more. Who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of his saints in light? Qualified means to make adequate, to make sufficient, to make competent. We are qualified, we are adequate, we are competent to share in God's eternal inheritance. He wrote us into his will. And we are qualified to be written into his will. But hold on, I don't know if you think the same thing I do the first time I look at this. It's like, we do not qualify ourselves for entrance into heaven. I'm not qualified. I'm not adequate to, to fit eternity. I'm not competent enough to meet the requirements of, of, of eternal glory. Like, I'm unfit for his inheritance. But it doesn't say we have qualified ourselves to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It says he has qualified us. He has made us adequate to attain it. He has made us sufficient for it. He has made us competent to meet its requirements. He has made us fit for eternal life and eternal light. Oh, thank you, right? Giggly thanks. That's the only, way, that's the only response, right? Like, I got nothing more. But wait, there's more. Look at 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. He rescued us. He saved us. He delivered us from a terrible place called the domain of darkness. Domain means an authority or a controlling power, the dictatorship of darkness. Darkness ruled our lives. Darkness had dominion over us. Everything ugly and disgusting and twisted and wrong, everything that brings death and destruction and lives and relationships, everything that, wants, uh, that we want to hide and cover up because it brings us shame, all of that is the domain of darkness. Everything painful and, and awkward and uncomfortable is all of the domain of darkness. The moments that we just wish we could forget from our lives is part of the domain of darkness. The moments we feel like we have to justify or excuse with other people because we know it's real and it's ugly. We lived in that land that was all about that. The Colossians would have really related to this because most of those who were reading this were, were first-generation believers and they probably became believers in their adult life, right? This, this Jesus thing was fairly new. And so they knew they could remember the darkness. I actually think it's one of the advantages of those who don't grow up in the church is, is, that, is that they can look at, at that point in their life where they were snatched out of darkness into light, right? And they can be like, I remember that darkness, right? Right? I grew up in the church. I can remember the darkness, okay? I was a snot-nosed punk when I was in junior high. I was a bad kid, and I just wanted to do everything possibly bad, right? And I can remember that and go, that's darkness, right? I know that. But he launched a rescue plan into my life to, to go behind enemy lines and take me out of that, to infiltrate this kingdom of darkness to bring us to the kingdom of light, which is the next thing he says. And he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved 
son. If you look at the literature where this Greek word for transferred is used, most of the time it's describing a king who goes and captures a city and takes captives, right? Takes slaves back to their, to his kingdom, right? Which is pretty negative, generally, but it's that same idea, but imagine if the, the king that was capturing you was Jesus the king, right? Who was capturing us and taking us not to, back to a bad place, but to a place of gracious, loving kindness, a beautiful kingdom of light. Like, come capture me, right? Take me away. But wait, there's more. Look at 14. In whom we have redemption. This word redemption is most often used for buying a slave out of slavery. Freedom for those who are in captivity. Paying a a ransom for a kidnapper so you can get the kid back. We've been bought and we've been paid for to secure our freedom. And I think if we sit with that very long, we'll know what the cost was. We'll remember what it was. It was a high, high price, right? But the price has been paid. We don't have to pay it. We don't have to do more in order to pay off our debt. That's not a reality. That's every other religion in the world. That's not the truth. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This word for forgiveness, there's a few Greek words for forgiveness. Um, And usually when I talk about this word, I'm talking about a different Greek word that is about letting it go. Remember talking about that? Like I usually usually sing Elsa's song there, right? Let it go, let it go. This is not that word. This is a different word. Uh, This word literally means to free from bondage, to to unlock the shackles. Um, And every time in the New Testament this word is used, it's always used in this phrase, forgiveness of sins, unshackling of sins. The implication here is that sin binds us, it entraps us, it restricts us. And some of us can, can really recognize that and go, yeah, yep, sin definitely entraps. And, and what we have is an unshackling of that entrapment, freed from sin, freed from the bondage that it created in us. And I would even bet some of us as believers today have returned to those chains. We're, we're, we're bound by something, some sin that we thought we would like and we would like to pursue, but we've found that it's enslaving us. We're not slaves anymore. We have forgiveness of sins. This is not something that's possible. This is a reality. He unchained us. So we can pretend like we still have shackles on, but we don't. They're gone. This section reminds me of, um, of a section in Acts where it's talking about Paul on the road to Damascus. You know, he gets saved on the road to Damascus. Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus, and he tells him about his mission in life. Paul, this is going to be your mission in life. And your mission is that you're going to go to the Gentile peoples, and you're going to, to, to do, do this. And this is what he says, Right? Here, he says, you're going to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, 
that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an eternal inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. This was Paul's mission in life, given to him by Jesus himself. And these truths that he was spreading all over the Gentile world made a huge impact in the Gentile world and in the generations that came after. And those same truths that he was sharing in the Gentile world at that time are the same truths that are impacting us today and changing us and rescuing us from the domain of darkness to the, to the kingdom of light and are unshackling us from our sin. And I don't know about you, but the only response I have is kind of giggly thankfulness, right? Because it's just so good. Point on your hand out if you want to fill it in. Thankfulness is the proper response to the one who wrote us into his will by rescuing us from the darkness into light through the paying of our debts and the unlocking of our chains. Thankfulness is the proper response to the one who wrote us into his will by rescuing, rescuing us from the darkness into the, into the light through the paying of our debts and unlocking of our chains. just going to read the bottom of the handout. Let's look at that together. The people in the church at Colossae had gained a knowledge of God's will. They accepted that truth, that knowledge as truth, and it changed their lives. Paul prayed that they would grow into full comprehension of that knowledge and that it would keep doing its work on them to the fullest degree. The only knowledge worth having is useful knowledge, and the truth of God is meant for nothing less than the full transformation of each per person it touches. The more we know the truth of God's will and allow that truth to change our lives, the more our lives will properly honor and greatly please the giver of all truth. His transformational truth is truly something to be thankful for. And I just have a few questions that I had throughout the handout there. Where are, your, where are you primary look, primarily looking to find direction in your life? I hope it's in his will. Do you have a hunger to know more of God's will for you? And what of the many things that we've talked about this morning are you most thankful for the Father doing for you? Let me pray for us. Lord, um, we are so thankful for all that you've done, all that you've accomplished, Thank you for reminding us of that this morning, of these things, because I think it's pretty easy to forget these truths that you have um, done all of these things for us, on behalf of us, that you've given us your will so that we can be transformed by it. Lord, I pray that we would commit ourselves to that, that we'd commit ourselves to growing in the knowledge of you, and not just growing in, in having that knowledge and, and knowing it so we can answer trivia questions well, but knowing it so that it changes us, Gra grabbing a hold of it, uh, of it so that it could change our lives and living out those truths so that we can get all the benefits that come from a knowledge of your will. Lord, we are not inclined to this. This is not our natural uh, state. So we need you to, to breathe into it. We need your spirit to, um, to empower us to know and understand and live your truth. I pray that you would do that. In your name.